Let's pray. Church is serious, man. Let's pray. Stop laughing. Father God, we love you so much. So good to be in your house, Lord. So good to hang out with sisters from other misters and brothers from other mothers. Lord, I thank you, God, that I come 12,000 miles away and I still feel like I'm at home because we have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. And we love, we love, love, love Jesus. Father, we pray tonight that his name would be glorified. And just as that wonderful worship leader said, that there's healing in his name, there's freedom in his name. And so, Lord, tonight we lift the name of Jesus over our situations, over our chaos, over our carnage, over our brokenness, over our sickness, over our need. We lift the name of Jesus like a banner right over our circumstances, believing that as we lift him up, Lord, our sicknesses bow down. Our needs bow down. Our brokenness bows down. Our insecurities bow down. And so, Jesus, I thank you that this is not wishful thinking or positive thinking. This is solid, solid Bible truth that as we stand on the Word of God, that declares that where the presence of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, God. Tonight, I choose to believe that tonight. And I speak freedom in this house, in Jesus' name. And all God's people shout it together. Amen. Amen. Can the keys man keep playing? Thank you, guys. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Pastor Sheridan and Jan, you guys are really are amazing. I think Jan is probably the most like likable person I've ever met in my life. I think, yeah, well, you have to say that, but I don't. But she is, genuinely. And I, I don't know if it's just made more evident because she's with Sheridan. Like, I don't know. I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing. But um, I don't know what happened to your boys, though. Again, I'm playing. Uh, it's British humour. I apologise. If you're offended, don't be. But if you are offended, just send an email to Pastor Sheridan at Activate Church, and I'm sure he'll be right on it tomorrow morning. Yeah, Sunny Hill. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not picking up those emails for a little while. And thank you for this cool little table as well. This is great. Um, just before I kick on, I just want to, I felt God just lay something on my heart, and um, maybe this is for somebody, or maybe it isn't. I've just learned to be obedient in these moments. Um, I felt somebody, it's two things. I felt somebody has got a bad back, a really bad back. And I feel it's since a relational breakdown with their dad. Because how many people know that kind of relational breakdowns have a physical impact on our bodies, on our beings? Because, you know, when God made us, he created us to be in relational unity with him and with others and since sin came into the world we know that when there's a relational break it's why there's so many mental breakdowns happening right now in the world is because there's so many relational breakdowns and I don't know I just got this sense that somebody's really suffering with a bad back at the moment and I think it it's actually less physical than you think it's actually to do with a relational breakdown uh, with your dad um and I kind of just wrestled with God with that because I was like, I don't know if that's you or not, Lord. But I've just learned to be obedient, kind of like what I said this morning. And um, so if that's you, maybe come and talk to me after the service. In fact, even now, just bow your heads where you are. And I just want to make this a private moment. But if that is you, you feel that maybe is a word for you. Can you just raise your hand? Okay. Cool. Come and talk to me after the service tonight, please. I'd love to pray. Blessing over you. Okay, open your Bibles to Acts 12. I was going to speak on something else tonight, but um, 
just the more I've been spending time with uh, Pastor Sheridan and him talking me through the amazing vision of the house and kind of all that God's doing today. I got to drive around the new site. I was going to say potential new site. It's not potential. It's now a real deal. Um, Just amazing. I mean, the vision is so big. We feel so overwhelmed. And me and Louise were both saying in the car as we were leaving that place, we just feel like we need to go home and expand our vision and our dreaming and all that sort of stuff. Our vision is too small. Just being inspired by your leaders. You've got great leaders. Um, Great leaders do that. They challenge you to think bigger and dream bigger. Um, But uh, I just felt inclined to, I guess, share some thoughts that I was having about a year ago, and it's to do with prayer. And I think this is really important for you guys at the moment. You know, one of my... Uh, favorite sermon series that you'll often hear at church. And if you haven't been in church very long, uh, you've, you've got this in store to come. This is a treat. They're normally called Book God series, right? And it's where we read a passage of scripture and uh, we read two words that really change the inclination of the passage. And the two words are Book God. So we read a circumstance that is quite bleak where an outlook is kind of a bit not great. And then the scripture writer says, book God and then the following sentence is normally an uplifting verse about what God's going to do and they're all littered throughout the scripture so in Ephesians 2 Paul says this essentially he says you were sinful messed up broken lost up the creek without a paddle hopeless gratifying the sinful nature and deserving of wrath that was your predicament then he says but God because of his great love for us made us alive with Christ in Romans 5 Paul says very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's the consequence and the penalty of sin. But then he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in the Old Testament, Genesis 50, speaking of uh, Joseph talking to his brothers, says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. Psalm 73, 26, David says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love passages like that because there's a little kind of shot in the arm boost of hope for people who are going through uh, storms, who are going through chaos. Because the truth is right now you might feel like you're broken, insecure, anxious about something. Let me tell you that we worship a God that loves to butt in. We worship a God who loves to butt into our lives, into our chaos, into our brokenness. Maybe you've got a dysfunctional relationship with your parents. Maybe you've got marital challenges in your world right now. Maybe you're raising kids who have walked away from home and walked away from God. Let me tell you, we worship a but God, God. No matter what you're facing, a God who can show up and turn things around in an instant. We worship a God who can show up and by his presence, just by in worship, begin to minister a new reality and a new truth and declare truth over our life because we worship a God who butts in. I love it. I love it. That's my story. That's the story of so many people who lead with me back at Sunny Hill. That's the story of so many of my friends. We were going one way. I shared some of my story at some of the campuses this morning and 
You know, so much of my story is I thought I was happy, but I wasn't. I thought I had everything I need, but I didn't. And I was going after what I thought was going to make me happy. And I thought I was content, but it wasn't really delivering. And then all of a sudden I had a but God moment in my life and God showed up and the rest is history. Literally, my future was transformed. My destiny was changed. Like literally my eternity was rewritten. It was incredible because we worship a God who butts in. Don't get too religious about this stuff. He's a God who rocks up and changes people. That's who He is. Time and time again in the Scriptures, every single person, whether it's Peter, whether it's Saul, Paul, whether it's Abraham, 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 whether it's David, whether it's Joseph, it's a God who comes into a moment that seems bleak and unhopeful and hopeless. And but God shows in and changes something. I love it. But tonight, I wonder what it looks like to have a but church moment. I wonder what it looks like to have a but the church kind of moment. Where church decides to step into the carnage of people's lives. Where church decides to step off of its platform into the chaos of the world. I wonder what it looks like when we step out of our Christian bubble where everything is nice and everything makes sense and we all know the songs that we sing and we decide to get tangled up in the thing that is life. It's interesting in Acts 12, this is what we read. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Herod was an egomaniac. Know any egomaniacs? Don't look at the person next to you. That's awkward. <laughs> Herod was so insecure, he was looking for, to do things that would promote his popularity amongst the people. And he found, he says here, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. James was a key player in the New Testament church. He was important to all that God was doing. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So Herod saw that by getting James martyred and executed, that his fame and popularity rose amongst the Jewish leaders. And it kind of went to his head and he thought, wow, I mean, if this is what they're going to do for James, what would happen if I got hold of Peter? Because Peter, you could argue, was probably indispensable to the church of Jesus Christ, although no one really is. He was a foundational building block to all that Jesus was doing through the church at this time. And we read that when he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, which just seems like overkill to me, right? No? I mean, I know whether Peter had a crazy WWF kind of background or whatever. But it just seems like overkill to get like one of the pastors of the early church and kind of put them with four squadrons of four soldiers in each squadron. Like it seems pretty heavy-handed unless Herod had kind of heard that this church is serious and that God is doing something in this church. And we read these lines. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after, after the Passover. So this is the context. This is bad news to the early church. I mean, they're kind of struggling through anyway. Yes, they're seeing kind of growth and they're seeing impact and they're seeing miracles. But there's aggressive persecution breaking out. And I just wonder like what they're thinking their future looks like. 
Because it wasn't like the church was a rosy place to be. It was a difficult place to be. And now they've lost James. And now Peter's in prison awaiting the same outcome as James. And Herod, this egomaniac, is hell-bent on trying to wipe Peter off the face of the planet. And you just really feel like we need a but God moment. That's just what you feel. You feel like a God intervention is necessary in order to get Peter out of prison. Like if we could just read, but God showed up and just blew everyone away and and just, just got Peter out of prison. That's the kind of thing you want to read. But it's amazing. Look what it says in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. Let's read the next three words together. But the church. But the church. But the church. I love but God moments. But I wonder if God loves but church moments. I wonder if sometimes in our worship, we're kind of here and we say, come on, bring a move of God. Bring a move of God to the nations. Bring a move of God. Pour out revival. Bring a move of God. And I wonder if sometimes God's in heaven. He's saying, come on, bring a move of people. Bring a move of people. Bring a move of people. Come on, God, show up. Come on, church, show up. Come on, God, bring the breakthrough. Come on, church, bring the breakthrough. Come on, God, bring the financial provision. Church, I've already given you plenty of money to bring the provision you need. The good news is, all the money you need for the future of this house, you already have. The bad news is, it's in your pockets. Charles Wesley says this, the last part of a man to get saved is his wallet. Because <laughs> we're ready to yield everything else but our money. Uh-uh, no thanks, Lord. I mean, you're awesome, but this is my dollar right here. But here we read Peter's in prison. But the church, but the church, but the church was earnestly, say earnestly, praying to God for him. You see, the church wasn't called to pick up arms and go and storm the prison gates the church was never called to do little email petitions to sign this email and get Peter out of prison I mean all that's cool I'm not undermining that stuff you know that stuff has its part the church was never called to make cool signs and put them on things and we want Peter we want Peter like that's not what the church was called to do Ephesians 6 it says our battle is not against flesh and blood it's against principalities and powers Paul also says, I think it's in Corinthians, that he's given us the weapons we need to demolish strongholds. Like, there's something greater that the church has been called to do. And it's to come into a gap, into a moment, and intercede on behalf of people and see the kingdom of darkness pushed back and the kingdom of God extended and expanded. And here we see the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Maybe some of you need a but God moment. Let me tell you, you need a, sometimes you need a but the church moment. And as a church, you need to start praying like you've never prayed before for the breakthrough and for the deliverance of the city of Hamilton. You see, revival, sometimes we, we belittle revival to something that happens on the streets where thousands of people get saved. I love your tech team. Those lights, just follow me. Yeah, good luck with this. I'm off. Come on, just try. I'm so distracted. I've got like preacher's ADHD right now. You tried though. Good effort. Good effort. Totally lost my trail of thought, but that was really fun. But I, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I just think sometimes we try everything else, but we don't pray. 
This is really important for young people and students because the last thing that our flesh wants to do is pray. And I'm not saying that old people do it naturally, but with so many distractions, social media, gaming, iPad, all this sort of stuff, it's so hard to understand that sometimes our purpose and mandate as a church is just to simply earnestly pray for the breakthrough of the city of Hamilton. Revival isn't when thousands of people get saved on the streets. Revival is what happens in the privacy of your own heart as a believer. The the 10,000 people getting saved on the streets of Hamilton is the fruit of a believer who has come into revival in their heart. Revival isn't the thing that happens out there. It's the thing that happens in here. And it can happen tonight. If you're ready for a but the church kind of moment, the church was earnestly praying. I, I love the book of Acts, but really to understand the book of Acts, you have to read the book of Luke. And I guess this fits into your series right now, wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. Because Luke wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And so often what we see in Acts is the outworking of what Jesus taught in the book of Luke. And so what we see here in Acts is actually a result of Jesus' teaching in Luke 11. So turn your Bibles to Luke 11. Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? It's an interesting thing. Because, like, you know, it, it wasn't the preaching that they wanted to learn, and it wasn't the miraculous that they wanted to learn. They had learned that the key to the power of Jesus was prayer, right? That's what they'd learned. And so they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Is everyone okay? Are you awake? Are you awake? If someone looks sleepy next to you, just slap them. You've got my permission to full on palm their face right now. What time do I need to finish, Sheridan? Okay, 20 past eight. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Luke 11, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, after he taught them the Lord's Prayer, he says, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside the door, the one who has the bread, says this, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. First of all, you need a better friend. If that's what your friend is like, you need a better friend. This friend totally sucks. Can't even get up at night because it's night time to give someone bread. I can't get up and give you anything. So you've got this need in the middle of the night. The shops aren't open. This is your only answer. You knock on his door and say, hey, neighbor, I've got an unexpected guest coming. I need bread. I need a breakthrough. I need some deliverance. I need some provision. No, you you can't have it because it's too late. Well, we read this. It's kind of interesting. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship. This is Jesus speaking about God here. Listen. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity he will surely get up and give you as much as you need shameless audacity getting bold getting risky like I'm going to contend I'm going to keep going I'm going to ask for something that is irrational illogical unreasonable Jesus says like friendship may not deliver on this but shameless audacity will so Jesus says this so I say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the doors will be open to you for everyone not just a few for everyone who asks receive the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be open Jesus says the key to prayer is to not stop 
to not stop after one setback to not stop after you haven't seen any fruit after praying for a day or two to not stop when you've been praying for your city month after month after month and you're not seeing the breakthrough because Jesus says hey what friendship won't achieve shameless audacity and perseverance and persistence will deliver every time Jesus is essentially inviting you to annoy the heavens. <laughs> Isaiah prophesies, he says, give yourself no rest and God no rest until he establishes Zion. Like, don't give up. Don't give up. Listen, this vision that your pastors have and that you carry is so much bigger than your ability to do it in your own might. Yet if you pray and come into partnership with the Lord of the heavens and say, God on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done. And it may not come overnight, but if the church gets behind it in prayer and has a but the church moment, if you tonight leave and decide, I want to resolve myself to make sure to activate that we have a but the church moment and we are going to earnestly pray and contend for everything that God wants to unlock in our future. I believe that next time I come to New Zealand, I believe it. Revival is more of a choice than you think. We might be looking for a move of God. God is looking for a move of people. A couple of years ago, we had some South Koreans come and uh, kind of 30 of them just decided, hey, can we come and pray for some churches in England? Actually, there's about 800 of them, but we took 30 of them at Sunny Hill. And they traveled all the way from South Korea. And at first, that church was like really skeptical. Like, what? Why do they want to come to us? Do they just want money? Why would anyone just want to travel like 10,000 miles just to pray? That's weird. And so they, they get off the bus and I, I kind of greeted them and I was like, hey, there was 30 of them. I was like, hey, should we go and grab some food? And they said, no, we've come to pray. I was like, well, we can get to praying. And he says, no, no, we need to establish a 24-7 prayer room. I'm like, you've been here two minutes. And clearly you didn't get the memo about British prayer meetings. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. Because we just have an hour of power, right? That's how we roll in England. I mean, there may not be power, but it's always an hour. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. And I was talking with them saying, oh, how is this going to work? We'll just establish ourselves. But all of us want to pray. So we'll just make sure at least there's always four or five people just putting fuel on the fire in this boiler room of prayer. I was so challenged. I was like, man, this is my city. And God's had to bring people from 10,000 miles away to give me a kick up the jacksy. Jacksy translated bum. You see, in in England, we have established prayer rules. And I like these prayer rules because they kind of keep me feeling safe and good about life. Called prayer club rules, okay? And I don't know if they're the same in New Zealand. I'm just assuming that you guys are way more prayerful than us. But rule number one of prayer club is this. You have to sit in a circle. You have to sit in a circle. God doesn't come unless we're in a circle. South Koreans did not get the memo gave them a prayer room there's a perfectly good circle in the prayer room I made it myself it wasn't square it wasn't triangle it was circle and they decided they were going to march around the room instead I was like just sit on a chair in a circle please that's how we do it in England it works not prayer club rule number two 
everyone must pray at least once before we can finish the prayer meeting. If there's eight people in the prayer meeting, we all need to pray before we can call it a day. So sometimes in a prayer meeting, you're willing, Gordon, to pray in the court. Just pray, please. I really need to get home. Just pray. You're giving him the prayer eyes. Pray, pray. Prayer rule number three. This is important for you young people. Practice the prayers in your heads before you bring them to the floor. Practice them. Polish them. Make, make them good, right? Don't waste time with pithy prayers. Make good ones. Prepare them. Practice them. And there's a kind of caveat to prayer club rule number three. Listen. But don't wait too long to pray. Otherwise, someone might steal your prayer. Anyone hate it when that happens? I'm like, that was my prayer. You should have prayed it then. Yeah, but I was performing it in my head, getting it right, just to make sure it washed well in the room, right? Here's an awkward one. Be careful not to pray at the same time as another person. I hate those moments. Like when you put in and, oh, sorry, no, 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 you carry on. Like in our church now, I've established Titanic rules, which means that if you're a woman or a child, you always go first. That's how we do it at Sunny Hill, right? We just need some clarity here. Rule number five. This is important. Remember to use relatively long words like sanctification because that just impresses God and draws the power of heaven. God is like, whoa, I was doing something else. But he said, propitiation, we're in right now. Come on. No one knows what he means, but we're all in. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because that was a good word. Here's an important one. Quote scripture, even if it's not relevant, and even if it's not hermeneutically accurate, because it's impressive. And here's an important one for all you worshippers, okay? Feel free to sing a song that everyone knows. Don't go singing a song from 200 years ago. None of us were around. Or maybe some of us were, but I wasn't around. And there's a caveat to that rule as well. Make sure we've agreed a key before you commit to the song that you're singing. Because there's nothing more awkward when you've got guys kind of, and women going, I joke, but so often this is what our prayer meetings look like in the UK. These South Koreans come and they come with an agenda of persistence and audacity just to keep praying until the job gets done. We will just keep praying. Forget your circles, forget your rules. We're going to cry out to the King of Kings because they were looking for a but the church moment. Jesus pushes on in this, Luke 18. Just in case we didn't get the principle. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable that shows them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Verse 3. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because of this widow is persistently bothering me. Say this, persistently bothering me. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> There's a crazy widow right there. My gosh, maybe a black widow. <sighs> Craziness. Jesus is using an extremity here. He's not trying to say how harsh God is and how unwilling God is. He's trying to teach us the power of persistence. That's what he's doing. 
saying, hey, if you want to see something shift, contend. If you want to see something broken, fight. Pray, pray, pray. And don't give up praying. Don't give up praying. I'm really out of time, almost out of time. Jump back to Acts 12. Peter's in prison, but the church were earnestly praying. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. There was no coming out. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. (laughs) Of course it did. (laughs) That's mental. And a light shone in the cell. He struck. The word struck is a very strong word. It actually better say he smacked him hard. Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was just seeing a vision. He thought he was tripping because this is crazy. Mental. An angel showed up, smacked Peter on the side and said, get up. And the angel came at the delegation of God. Why? Because the church was earnestly praying. No praying church, no angel in the cell. I believe it's that simple. No church praying, no Peter getting delivered from his chains. Do you know that when the church prays earnestly, chains come off people? Do you know that? When we commit to praying earnestly with perseverance and endurance, people get freed up. So good. Preach to myself. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. I love these words. It opened for them by itself. Yeah, of course it did. Just open by itself. The iron gate had no personal kind of feelings or emotive inclination to open by itself. It's the prayers of the church that force the hinges on the gate to open. Right now, Activate is looking at some big iron gates. You might be thinking finance is going to be the key to the opening, but it's not. It's the prayers of the church that when the people come together and earnestly pray, doors open, hinges loosen, chains come free, people come out of prison. It's so good. So they passed through the gate. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that this Lord has sent the angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. God, that's a mouthful. Where many people had gathered and were praying. In other words, this is the prayer meeting that we're praying for the deliverance of Peter. Peter. Verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door it's a funny name and I don't know why she's really written but listen Rhoda came to answer the door when she recognized Peter's voice she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening the door that's why her name's in there (laughs) Luke was like everyone's going to know how dumb she was that's crazy that is crazy forever people are going to read that I want to make sure that gets in the eternal word of God right there. She's awesome. Is there a rotor in the house? Oh! Oh! No way! Sorry. I, I, 
There we go. Give me a hug. Rotors are amazing. <laughs> I wondered why everyone would laugh at us. I was like, well, fair enough. People have beef with Rhoda. Clearly not. People love Rhoda. Memo to self. Never assume there's no Rhodas more on planet Earth. I've never met a Rhoda in my life, but um, you're the first. Are you anything like this, Rhoda? No. Oh, you are? Oh, cool. Well, you know, God loves the least of these. She was praying. Oh, okay. well, yeah, she was praying. You're all right. Jan, you're just so nice. You're just so good. You're like Jesus Mark II, like Jesus phase number two. So good. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. I mean, Rhoda is cool. I've always said that. I've always said Rhoda's awesome. Like, I don't know why people give her a hard time. She's quality. Like, she's so good. <laughs> it's these prayer meetings. Listen to, it's the other people in the room. Listen to this. Listen to the other people in the room. You're out of your mind, they told her. Like, you're nuts. Like, we're praying in here for Peter. Don't come and tell us that he's at the door. Like, right now, we're having a busy, good prayer meeting. Like, we're taking ground for Jesus, and we're, like, praying hard like it's crazy. And don't, don't waste our time. Peter's not at the door. And they say this. They said it must be his angel. Like, it was easy to believe that Peter's angel rocked up and knocked on the door, that it was to believe that God could respond to the prayers of the church. It makes me think, maybe this early church wasn't too dissimilar to us after all. Just a normal prayer meeting that are trying to move heaven and earth to get Peter out. But Peter kept on knocking. He's like, oh my gosh. You know, I wonder if Peter's just planning his next sermon series at this point. Like, just, you know, sortyourlivesoutchurch.com. This is awful. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Listen, really, I've joked about prayer meetings. You know what? It really doesn't matter what they look like. What matters is that we come with a heart of earnest expectation and shameless audacity that would keep knocking the doors and asking and seeking and knocking and asking and seeking and knocking, asking and seeking and knocking, saying, Jesus, you said you will build your church. This is your church. You said that the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. This is your church. Hey, I know you love this city more than we love our city. This is your city. You know, as we begin to just ask and seek and knock, ask and seek and knock, God, would you come in power? God, would you come and move in power God would you begin to heal the sick would you begin to set captives free would you begin to deliver people of strongholds would you begin to do it as the church begins to do that God says ask and it will be given to you like just ask ask for a little while as a church and I'm going to end now we can start building up that's fine for a little while as a church after this we were kind of shaken up and we committed to pray for three things on our street this morning, uh, I spoke about Ashley Road, about that guy who got stuck in a car and about that guy that I mounted the curb to try and stop on Ashley Road. Well, something cool else happened on Ashley Road. <laughs> so funny to talk so much about Ashley Road. There's three things on Ashley Road that I wanted to go at war against in my spirit. The Masonic Lodge. We have uh, Freemasons. I don't know whether you have them over here, but kind of problematic to the church in the UK. Uh, an Islamic mosque was kind of bought and built on Ashley Road and a pornography shop, a sex shop on Ashley Road and loads of the community's youth were just able to go in and get their hands on illicit material and buy crazy things and 
as a church, we just decided, let's commit ourselves to pray for these things. And we felt inclined to do a 24-7 prayer. So we were just asking and seeking and knocking and asking and seeking and knocking. And we kind of done that for months, asking and seeking and knocking in our prayer meetings. And we called a 24-7 prayer house. And one day as I was praying in this prayer, uh, in this prayer room, it was about two in the morning. I was there on my own and I was just praying. And I was just like, God, would you just get rid of that pornography shop? I really felt God had just given me anointing in the moment just to pray into that. And I felt God say to me, in my spirit he says you need to go to the shop now I was like yeah but it's two o'clock in the morning like who walks around the streets at two o'clock in the morning apart from weirdos and so I don't really want to do that and I felt God just say come on go to the shop now and so I walked to the sex shop which is about 15 minutes away and uh I'm here, imagine this sorry drummer but I'm using you as my example right I got beef with you right here it is. And I felt God say, lay your hands on the sex shop. I was like, are you kidding me? Lay my hands on the sex shop? What's that going to achieve? And what happens if people from my church drive past and see the pastor with his hands on the sex shop at two o'clock in the morning? This ain't going to wash in the newspaper, right? And so anyways, <laughs> here he is. Here he is, the captive inside. And I felt like, okay, let's just do this just to get this job done. Sorry if I grease up your drum screen. But I just laid my hands on the shop and I felt God say, start praying and prophesying in tongues. And so I start doing it. So not only do I look weird, I now sound weird, right? I'm like, start speaking this heavenly language. Just begin to just having a vision of what this place would look like if this shop wasn't there. What, what, what changes there would be in the community. And as I'm praying, I'm finding my gear in tongues and I'm just praying. And all of a sudden, a policeman taps me on the shoulder. <laughs> Why? Why me? Do you hate me? <laughs> and the copper says, what are you doing, son? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not looking through the window at two o'clock in the morning at this section. I said, I'm actually praying for it because I'm a pastor of a church and this has destroyed some of the lives of the young guys in our youth group and I, I just want it gone. And he says, well, is there anything I can do? And I says, well, just let me pray. And he says, cool. He says, well, I'm with you. He says, I'm not a religious man, but he says, I want it gone too. So if this works, that's awesome. So anyway, this is probably like Thursday or Friday night. I'm praying and I just feel like I do some business for about 10, 15 minutes and I just walk back to the prayer room. On Saturday, a newspaper came out and said that this company had gone into liquidation. That day, unexpected, it laid off all its staff. And by the Monday, the whole thing was boarded up. That's cool, eh? So good. I was like, this is one of my 10 to 20% kind of breakthrough prayer moments where like something actually worked. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Within a month, that whole shop was demolished off the face of the earth. Like diggers in the whole thing had come down. And yet they were just on the verge of planting what I would say a campus onto the high street of Paul. Like they were branching out. But yet, well, I know what it was. It was that the church of Jesus Christ decided to go to war against this thing in Jesus' name, right? So I'm just saying tonight, and this I'm going to leave you with because I know I'm so out of time and I apologize for the fourth time today, right? That there are things in Hamilton that need to be brought down in Jesus' name. And you're the ones that are going to be responsible for it. But it's not because you're buying property, although that's part of it. 
And it's not because you're running cool ministries, although that's going to be a part of it. And it's not because you're building an amazing youth ministry, but that's going to be a part of it. It's going to be because the church as a whole, every man, woman, child, baby, are going to commit themselves to praying like they've never prayed before, asking like they've never asked before, seeking like they've never seen before, knocking like they've never knocked before. And you're going to see things come down in Jesus' name, all the bad things. And you're going to see cool things go up in Jesus' name. You're going to bring down buildings and you're going to build buildings. You're going to be a city on a hill. I just believe that. When I was driving around that thing, I was like, my gosh, this house has got so much potential and they've got leaders who are willing to go for it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you. We're excited about what you're doing in this place. We believe we're just at the start of all that you're doing here in Hamilton. I thank you, God, for every man, woman, and child in this room right now, that they are alive for such a time as this, uniquely designed according to your purposes and plans. People here might feel inadequate, but in Jesus, they're adequate. People in here may feel ill-equipped, but in Jesus, you will equip them. God, I thank you, Father, that you have got a tremendous future for this church. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would just deposit a seed of revelation in their heart to understand that it's not just a move of God we need, it's a move of people. That we don't just need a but God moment, we need a but the church moment. And so God, right now, as Activate Church, we come before our Heavenly Father and say, God, give us a desire, a fervency and a zealousness to pray like we've never prayed before for our neighbours, for our spouses, for our children, for our children's children, Lord God, that we would be here for the one who doesn't know you yet. Jesus, we love you, and we give you glory and praise. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Not sure.